The International Headquarters of the Sword of the Lord Publishers and Ministries here in downtown Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in the greater Nashville area, in the heart of Tennessee, with Tennessee and the world at heart, this is Making a Difference, and I'm Dr. Shelton Smith. We're delighted to welcome you today on this midweek hour, this Wednesday. It's a delight every single day to be right here on this station, and I'm thankful that you've joined us today. Remember, many of our churches, most of our churches, will have a midweek service tonight, and if not tonight, maybe tomorrow night, they'll have, though, something for you in the middle of the week, and I do hope you'll make your plans and be in the Lord's house at every time the doors are open. And Wednesday night is a good time to get in and get in on it. Now, we're looking at a message this week entitled, Jesus is Everything, and this will be the third and final portion of it, and I trust that it'll be a help and a blessing to you. Let me remind you that the Sword of the Lord Men's Conference is coming November 10 and 11, and guys, go to the Sword website and check it out. Lots of details there, and you're going to love the conference, so I hope you'll plan to be with us. All right, let's get right to the message today. This is Jesus is Everything, Part 3. Why? Because it's not right. It's as wicked as sin to do that kind of stuff. I mean, there are people who sat in church this morning, maybe even somebody here who sat in church this morning, they went home this afternoon, and a man or woman sat here side by side and went home this afternoon and fought like cats and dogs. If they'd be here tonight, they could never do that again, not in good conscience. Why? Because it's not right. It's as wicked as it can be. Now, what am I trying to say here? I'm just simply saying we need to learn about kindness and know that because Jesus is everything, because we're saved and separated and special, we can put on kindness in our life. We may not always agree about everything. You may have a different thought on something to what I have on it. I may not see everything exactly eye to eye the way you see it, but I don't have to be unkind to you. I don't, I don't have to call you some kind of an ugly name just because that you happen to see something a little different than what I see it. Oh, man, am I preaching or am I already meddling? <laughs> huh? Huh? <laughs> I, believe I'm, I believe I'm right down about the place where the cornbread's being made. Amen? I believe I am. <laughs> and, uh, see, I, it's the first time I've been to Garth Road, <coughs> and, and I'm just getting acquainted with you folks. But I have an idea that, that down here in South Texas, uh, you're, you're not a whole lot different in that regard than other folks that I've known in the South, uh, the Deep South over here, and in, and in the Northeast and out West and stuff. I don't think probably you're a whole lot different than that. I don't think you probably are. And so we need to learn that. We need to learn that. I mean, some of our folks, Brother Weatherly, we got, we got folks in fundamentalism, even preachers in fundamentalism, who have made a lifestyle out of just being mean as a striped snake. And that's just as wrong as wrong can be. It ought not to be. Dr. John R. Rice probably stirred up more trouble across America than any preacher who's ever lived. I mean, he kicked over more stumps and stirred up more nests of rattlesnakes than about anybody who's lived in this century. But you never met a man who was a more Christian gentleman than Dr. John R. Rice. He was a sweet-spirited Christian gentleman. I'll never forget the first time I stuck out my hand at the Blue Ridge Baptist Temple in Kansas City, Missouri and shook hands with Dr. John Rice. I didn't, I didn't wash my hands, I know, for a week. He was a gentleman. He was a gentleman. And to me, to me if we're going to put on, uh, if we're going to act like and try to convince people that we're spiritual and we're Christians, we need to learn these little simple things here. 
And we need to learn to put on mercy. We, we say, oh yes, I'm saved and I'm a deacon in the church. I'm, I'm a big shot in the church. It's what we want folks to think sometimes. i tell you how to be a big shot in God's eyes. Go out and get some old dopehead. Show mercy to him. Bring him in here next Sunday. Walk him down the aisle. Uh, that, that's, that's getting to be a big shot with God. Putting on mercy and putting on kindness. You say, but I'm telling you, I was over there in that other building walking down the hall and there was one of the deacons in this church who said something to me and he offended me and he upset me and he said things to me he shouldn't have said. What I'm talking about here is not what that deacon does. We'll work on him later. What I'm talking about is how are you going to behave whenever the deacon does mistreat you? See, just because that somebody's ugly to you don't mean you've got to be ugly back. You know, a lot of us go with that little verse that's not in the Bible. But you know how it is, tit for tat, butter for fat, you kill my dog, I'll kill your cat. <laughs> He's talking about poetry, preacher. Boy, I like poetry. <laughs> but a lot of folks live, but I mean, a lot of folks in fundamental, independent, temperamental Baptist churches operate on that very basis. And that's a shame. So he says what? Put on mercy, put on kindness, put on humbleness of mind and meekness. I'll do those two together. You see, humbleness of mind and meekness, that sounds like the same thing, but it's not. Humbleness of mind is how you're thinking about yourself. Meekness is how you're thinking toward God. See, a lot of times, oh my, we are impressed with ourselves. I mean, after all, I mean, we think we're, I mean, we're not going to go around telling folks how bad a sinner we are. and We're not going to go around talking about, uh, I mean, how undeserving we are. But whenever you get humbleness of mind, instead of you getting taller and taller and taller in your own eyes, you'll get smaller and smaller. You know, our whole society has been sold on this self-esteem garbage. We say everybody that's done anything wrong, it's because their self-esteem has been diminished. I'm telling you what the problem is in America. It's not because people have too low self-esteem. It's because they got too high self-esteem and they, they need to get their esteem way down here somewhere and find out how sawed off they really are. They're not near as big as they think they are. Humbleness of mind, you start thinking right about yourself. And if you couple that with thinking right about God. See, we see ourselves low that we are. We see God for the great high and mighty creature that He is and the Creator that He is. And we say, listen, I know I'm but a mere man, not even a, a peon. I'm not even anything. I'm little. I'm nothing. But God is everything. And see, meekness. The Bible says Moses is the meekest man in the world. It doesn't mean that Moses was walking around with his hands folded, whispering all the time, never raised his voice. That's not what it means. It means that Moses had the right attitude about God. Moses knew he was only Moses. He knew that, that God was the mighty one. See? And whenever, whenever we get this thing in focus and we have humbleness of mind about ourselves and meekness toward God, we, we understand and, and you say, but you're going to get folks down there so their esteem is so low. Listen, get them with God. Get things going right with them and right with God. And that self-esteem thing will balance out like it's supposed to. And you say, how can we do that? How can we do that? I mean, we're all out for number one. We're looking out for number one. Well, we have to adjust that. And we have to start living with somebody else in mind. Living with God in view. Living and saying, there's, there's something I can do. The greatest people in Christian circles that I've ever known have been people who were not wanting to be served, but they were willing to serve. And I believe that's the spirit of this. So he says, put it on. Put on mercy, put on kindness, put on humbleness of mind, put on meekness, and put on long-suffering. Now, it's going to get sticky before I get done, okay? 
It's going to get sticky here. I mean, these last two or three points, they're, they're, a little, they're a little tough. He says, put on long-suffering. A lot of folks think because they have suffered long, they're long-suffering. But that's not right. There, there are folks, oh my, I have suffered for 25 years. I know and you've grown and whined and complained every step of the way. In Kentucky, we call it belly aching. That's a, that's a good old Kentucky theological term, belly aching. I have a little sign that, uh, in my office. It's, it's all written together. It looks like a German word. It says, quit your belly aching. And the fact is, folks, we sometimes, we have pain and we have trouble and we have heartache and we go around and we whine and complain and we fuss at God and we tell God how awful it is and if He loved us, He'd do this and that. That's not long-suffering. You may be suffering long, but long-suffering says even with my arthritis, I love God. Even with the abuse that I've had, I love God. Even though somebody has been ugly to me, I love God and I'm not going to let it get in my way. I'm not going to stop going soul-winning because something went crosswise at the church. I'm not going to get out of the choir just because it's somebody uh, didn't like the way I sang a particular thing. You know, somebody comes up and says there was a sour note in that choir this morning. I heard it. I know it. there was somebody had a sour note in that choir. I heard it. And we don't want no sour notes in our choir. And you stand there and you're hearing that. You say, I don't know what it was me or who it was. But I'm not going to stand up there and be intimidated like that. And somebody come around and fuss and complain about the choir and the sour notes in the choir. And you say, what do you do about that? You... You suffer long. You're patient about it. You don't lose your cool. You don't get mad and quit just because somebody jumps on the bandwagon and tries to, to, to cut your throat over the choir. You don't do it. You don't do it. What do you do? You put on long-suffering. You're just patient. You endure. You say, listen, our choir may, I mean, our choir may have had a sour note in it. Most choirs do it sometime or another. But I love Jesus. I'm not going to quit singing just because somebody didn't like the song I did. I tell you what, I've had more trouble in my church over the years over music. Somebody said when the devil fell from heaven, he fell in the choir loft. And the last two things that he says, he says we're to put on forbearing one another. You say, what does that word mean? It just means we put up with each other. You know how Betty and I have been married 34 and a half years? Forbearing. Putting up with each other. There's times when I have put up with her. There's times when she has to put up with me i just illustrate it. Uh, She's a wonderful cook. But she knows, God knows, in fact, everybody who knows me knows that I do not like zucchini squash. In fact, there there is, as far as I can tell now, and I understand I don't have all knowledge, but as far as I can tell, there's no purpose on the planet for zucchini. And most other squash. Betty knows that. But every now and then I come in from some trip and she's got a big supper on the table and I look at it and right in the center of the table there's zucchini. I could act like a heathen over that. I, I could be an absolute pagan because we've discussed this zucchini thing several things before. In fact, there have been a number of times when she's sitting right here on the second row and I've got right up and preached about it. I mean, I mean, harped on it, beat on it. Talked about what an awful wicked thing it is to serve zucchini to a man who doesn't like it. But she likes zucchini. And in spite of the fact that she knows I do not like it, every now and then she'll fix a big, I mean, any, any pile of zucchini is a big pile to me. And you say, how do you survive being married to a woman like that? You forbear. I just put up with her whenever she fixes zucchini. I don't like the zucchini. I don't brag on the zucchini. I don't tell her how good it is because I ain't eating none of it. George Bush didn't have to eat broccoli when he's president. I don't have to eat zucchini. I don't have to, even though she fixes it. 
but I don't have to act like a heathen about it either. I don't have to fuss at her. I don't have to tell her how, how dumb it is to cook the stuff. I, I don't have to talk to her about what a waste of money it is for her to buy it. I don't have to tell her a lot of things that I've thought. I just forbear. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. If she were here and I gave her five minutes of this sermon to preach, she could tell you more things than you'd believe in five minutes that she's done putting up with me over the years. It's just the kind of stuff good marriages are made out of. How, how, how does a man stay in the same church and be the pastor of the same church 35 years? In fact, I'm going to ask you a question that, that's not even half that. I stayed in my church 17 years. How does a man stay in the same church 17 years? Uh, somebody asked me two or three years ago, they said, have you ever thought about leaving Open Door? I said, mercy, have I ever thought about leaving? I've thought about it a bunch of times. Why didn't you do it? Because I forbore. I was, I was able to forbear. I, there was times when things didn't go the way I wanted them to. And, and what would you do? I just put up with it. Just put up with it. You know? Now, <laughs> you say, how can you do this? How can you put up with all of this stuff? Remember, number one, you're saved, you're separated, and you're special. And Jesus being everything, you just forbear. You forgive. You say, well, I tell you what, I'm going to go to the preacher's office, and I have to have counseling once every week for the next three years, and then I'll forgive. No well, more. dear friends, we'll have to interrupt right there. But listen, these messages on Jesus is everything. Lots of good things there that should encourage, should instruct, should just be helpful to us. And I'm glad you've been along with us for that. Now, we'll do something new tomorrow, and I trust you'll be with us at that time as well, right here on this station at this time, and we look forward to that. Don't forget to go to church tonight. It's Wednesday night, and we hope to see you in the Lord's house. In the meantime, don't forget, I'd love to hear from our listeners, and I hope that you'll write me a note real soon. Write to me, Dr. Shelton Smith, at P.O. Box 1099, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37133. The email address is radio at swordofthelord.com. Well, until tomorrow, God bless you. Do have a good rest of the day, and goodbye for now.